When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate Podcast. Two things I want to apologise for. Number one, the blurry background behind me. Uh, well, the reason I was late, I suppose, realistically. Um, I called away on work. I had to travel for work tomorrow. So um, that's why we're on at 10 o'clock tonight. So I do apologise for anybody who's here since half past nine. Second thing I want to apologise for is the echoey room. And the third thing I want to apologise for is my very, very amateur Barry White impression with this really deep voice. Um, apologies, I've been ill the last few days. I can't shake this uh, this <clears throat> voice that's a couple of octaves lower. But I said I'd give it a try because I wanted to come on today and I wanted to chat about somebody who I would class as probably, he, he's up there and probably my joint most exciting transfer link, I think, so far this this, this offseason. But when we're talking about uh, talking about attacking players, and I'm going to cop out, I suppose, really, because I have him up there with Mohamed Kudos and with um, Pedro Gonzalez uh, for the reasons because I think that he's a really good fit for the Premier League. I think he's a really good fit for Aston Villa under, under Unai Emery as well. And that is Moussa Diaby, uh, Leverkusen winger, slash number 10, slash right wing, slash left wing, whatever. Anyway, plays across that line um, just behind the, the, the striker. And um, I'm going to come out and I'm going to say it straight off. Uh, if you read on the internet, you're going to read a lot of different... Um, oh, I'm getting burst into here by a dog. Um, you're going to read a lot of different uh, kind of comparisons for Moussa Diaby. I've heard some wild ones. A really wild one I heard the other day was that Moussa Diaby was Sean Wright Phillips. That's not what he is. He's small... That and he's fast. That's about the only um comparisons that the two of them have. Um, I've read as well today that he's an Aryan Robin. That to me is too um that's too far the opposite end. Aaron Robin is one of the best dribblers of the ball that ever lived. He's not that good. He's good, but he's not that good. Where I put this guy in is somewhere in and around the Freddie Youngberg category. And I think he's actually quite like Freddie Youngberg, except he's faster. Um when you watch him play, uh, he's he's got all the trickery needed to play in those playing that right side, that left side, as I say. And at times he can play in, in behind that number ten. At Leverkusen, he's very much a person who is um, a provider, albeit he has had some sparkling years where he scored a lot of goals. Um, all of you, I'm sure, uh, like I've seen last year, he had nine goals, eight assists in the Bundesliga, he had two goals in the Champions League, he had three goals and two assists in the Europa League last season. So by all means, the man can score goals. The year before, he had 13 and 12. 13 goals 
and and 12 assists in the Bundesliga in 2021-2022. So he's really blossoming and he's coming into form. But um, the reason that I find him so um, so exciting is when we look at how we would fit into an Unai Emery system, he's dependable. He's extremely dependable. But the one thing that we, that I suppose, the one downside, and, and you know, it doesn't take a genius to see this when they watch him either, and when you look at his statistics, is he needs help from uh, in, in the defensive side of things because he just isn't really tasked with defending the ball at all. But that's fine. I can live with that. I can live with my strikers not being tasked to run back and, and to spend um, half the game busting a gut, uh, playing both directions. Because what we saw last season, specifically from the right-hand side, and everybody talks about this inverted right-back that Aston Villa are going to play. Some of you might have seen my podcast previously. I'm not as convinced that Una Emery ever even really wants to play that system. I think that a lot of people have extrapolated that from his time at Villarreal. I've spoken about that before. You go back and look at the previous right-backs that Unai Emery has had over the course of his his time as a as a manager. He's had the likes of Koke, he's had the likes of Danny Alves, he's had the likes of Bellerin, he's had the likes of uh, um, Cedric, he's had the likes of Thomas Munier. None of those you could really ca- classify as that centre-half that's gone out to be right-back, that real defensive right-back that, that, that always... Uh, their first first um, instinct is to move in and to make that back three. They haven't always like we could never you could never accuse Hector Bellerin of ever doing anything like that. Nor Danny Alves, nor Thomas Mooney. So what I'm getting at here is the fact that you know this guy is going to come into the team. Predominantly, I would say he's going to play the right hand side. Albeit he can play the left hand side. Didier Deschamps is quoted as saying that he's equally as good either side and that he brings something to the French team and he will bring something to the French team um, over the course of his career um, with that flexibility being able to play in those in those attacking positions. I think think that would be one of the big things that Unai Emery is going to be drawn to, his pace and his flexibility um, across that front line. Because at the moment, as we know, we've got Leon Bailey who plays there. And it's an interesting thing about Leon Bailey because one of Leon Bailey's best ever uh, career seasons was... Um, uh, with Leverkusen as well, and the two of them kind of crossed. Like uh, they, they they played together in that season, and uh, Moussa Diaby scored four goals and had eleven assists in that season. And Leon Bailey, whose numbers escape me, but I am going to look them up here because I thought I had this up so that I could quote it. Um, Leon Bailey had a pretty pretty good season the season before he moved to Aston Villa. Now. A lot of people are saying that this is going to be a direct replacement for Leon Bailey. It could very easily be that case that he is going to come in and just replace his former partner. But the two of them had a, had a, had a, a, a very, very good partnership. Yes, Leon Bailey in 2021 had nine goals, eight assists in the Bundesliga, playing alongside Moussa Diaby. Um, the, two, the two of these players, are the only similar, similarity that they have is that they're really, really fast. Leon Bailey is a run, running straight lines type player. Moussa Diaby is more of a control player. He's, he's a bit of a better dribbler. Um, he can cut inside, as I say. He can come deep. He can break that offside trap like you've never seen before. He is brilliant at it because he could... He, he is one of the, the... I'd say he's one of the fastest players in Europe's top five leagues. He has to be when you look at Diaby. Now, Bailey is pace as well, but as I say, Bailey is running a straight line type of pace. And I'm not writing Leon Bailey off. I've never been a person that's kind of written him, off, written him off. I think, obviously, if an offer comes in for him to go, if an offer comes in for him that's too good for us to refuse, we may look at it. But I don't think that we're going to be getting rid of Leon Bailey as opposed to adding on top of him and making sure that we've got options there. 
So why am I saying that as well? Is because it's, um, it's immediately thought that if somebody like Diaby came in, it's a definite replacement for Leon Bailey. But we know that Leon Bailey has played a lot under Una Emery. We know that Una Emery has favoured him. Maybe that's because we didn't have many other options. But I genuinely believe that Leon Bailey, there could be, um, there, there's still juice left to be squeezed out of that player if he has an injury-free off-season, didn't have it last year, has is going to, hopefully he has it this year. He's away at the Gold Cup at the moment with uh, with Jamaica. I think they're, they're into the semi-final of the Gold Cup as well. Hopefully he's getting a lot of time there playing with Jamaica, getting a lot of a lot of game time, keeping his fitness up. Obviously, he's going to need a week or two off after that. It's not going to be in Walsall at the weekend, as we as we know. He probably will join up directly from the Gold Cup with the with the Villa squad in um in America for their American tour, and he's going to need maybe a couple of weeks to to get back up to speed. That's fine, but I think there's a, I think this is more of a, I think anybody we bring in is going to be supplemental to Leon Bailey. But the reason I'm bringing up Leon Bailey in this instance is these guys have a connection. They have a connection. They've played well together. Um, you can go and you can look at at, at um, game logs of them on FB Ref. For any of you guys who want to do like, don't trust me. Like, this is only my opinion of it. I never come on here and tell anybody what to think. I'm only ever t- telling you what my own opinion is. And I'm very, very often wrong. But go and look at stuff like like match logs and FB Ref. Then try and find maybe that corresponding match that they played together. Um, and 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 see how they linked up. I've done that. I've gone back and I've watched. Uh, some games. I watched one game. Um, where where uh, or sorry, watched watched one one game where the two of them uh, linked up well together. Um, I've gotten I've watched other games then of of Diaby on his own. Specifically, I wanted to watch when Diaby scored a hat trick against Augsburg. I think it was two years ago. Uh, he scored a hat trick against Augsburg. I wanted to see what those types of goals were, and there were different types of goals, but they were all surrounding his pace and his movement, which is really really interesting. So that's I just wanted to bring that up. That these two guys have previous together. Both of them have had um arguably their well Leon Bailey had his best ever career uh, season with um playing with Musa Diaby. And Leon Leon Bailey in that team played wide on the right. He played as a wing back at certain parts in it as well under Peter Bosch. And also at times he played up top. And that's why I'm mentioning this as well. Played up top alongside Patrick Schick, or alongside was I think it was Patrick Schick. In, in that in that uh, game I watched as well, so uh, there was a versatility there from from his game. There was a versatility from from the Abbey's game, but I don't want to make this all about a Leon Bailey podcast. So, so I went very very tangential there. Um, so more on more on Mister Diaby. Uh, so he's twenty three, just going on twenty four. Um, as I say, he is a winger. He's got he's got uh, um, I think he's got ten caps for France. But one of the biggest accolades that he's won so far in his career has been probably the most sexually explicit award that you're ever going to hear uh, in the footballing circles. And he is the proud recipient of 2016 Titty Dior. Yes, if you're childish like me, you'll think that that's a hilarious name. But essentially what that is, is it's the it's it's a trophy given, it's a, a, a moniker given to the best emerging talent from the Paris Saint-Germain Academy. Um Diaby got was was trained in France. Was trained in uh, with the with the Paris Saint Germain Academy. Went out loan to to Italy to Crotone, I think is how you pronounce it. And he came back to Paris Saint Germain and had some time under under Thomas Tuchel at Paris Saint Germain. It was Thomas Tuchel who told him that his game could be elevated another level by maybe going to the Bundesliga, learning maybe how to play um, in that structure and maybe a more structured game that the Bundesliga brings. That his pace would be able to light up that league. 
and Thomas Tuchel has been proven correct because since he has moved to the Bundesliga, he has been um he's he's been very very prolific or he's been very very consistent and prolific and he moved there at 20 years of age you know so um he first season he had five goals five assists second season four goals 11 assists third season which is 2021 2022 13 goals 12 assists <coughs> excuse me and then last season he had seven goals eight assists and they're just these league numbers as well so he's been quite prolific and quite quite um and uh, quite consistent over the years. And what I'm liking to see with it is that there's building within those years. Now, obviously, 2021-2022 has been a, a bigger year. Leverkusen got back into, I think they got into the, into the well, they did get into the Champions League last season because he had uh, two goals in the Champions League, as I mentioned previously. So, um, a lot of, lot of football played for somebody that's, uh, that's so young. He's uh, over 10, nearly 11,000 league minutes played. That's outside of Cups and outside of any of the European competitions that he's played in as well. And, um, you know, of those uh, of those 10,828 minutes, he started 122 games. So of those 122 games, he's also um, contributed either scoring or assisting in 75, or 75 goals. So he said 75 goals or assists over the course of his career. For somebody who was 22, that's pretty good. It's better than pretty good. It 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 deserves hype. That deserves hype for somebody that young because of all those goals and assists, all bar two goals and six assists, um, have come out have come in the Bundesliga at at um, have come in the Bundesliga at at, at senior competition, and then those two, other two goals and six um six assists came for Paris Saint Germain in in Ligue 1 when he won the um. The championnat that year in 2018-2019 started 10 games for Paris Saint-Germain that year. So he's played at decent levels from a very young age and he was trusted at uh, he was trusted at 19, he was trusted at 18 for Cratone but um, he only played a, a few games there in Serie A and then he moved in, as I say, he came back to Paris Saint-Germain at 19 and under Thomas Tuchel he played he, he, he Appeared in 25 games, played 10, scored two goals, had six assists at 19 years of age. The guy is really talented. The, the, the talent is, is, is non-negotiable, as I say. It's, it, it, he is extremely talented. Whether he fits into the Premier League and how he fits into the Premier League and whether a team can hide his defensive frailties, which you would expect from somebody who's five foot six and a half, who's probably 10 stones soaking wet after a, after a full dinner, um, you know whether we can whether a team can kind of mask his, his defensive non abilities, so to say, is something else. And I think they can. I think that this Aston Villa team can do that because I went off on a tangent a moment ago about Leon Bailey, but I was talking about right backs. I was talking about the inverted right backs and whether the inverted right backs are something that, that Unai Emery is is going to play. And until Unai Emery buys somebody that's going to be an inverted right back, I can't say that Unai Emery is going to do that at Aston Villa. And if you were to ask me right now what the situation is going to be until he buys that inverted right back, I think we're going to go with two right backs to can play. Yes, the right back will probably hang back a small bit more, and will like because Leon Bailey wasn't exactly tasked with with um, with with a lot of defending at times last season, specifically when he was playing as number ten. But I think if we've got a Matty Cash at the right back, we will be bringing another right back for sure, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. 
But if you were to ask me whether, whether we were going to play that inverted right back, that specific one fight type player, at the moment I would say, why not play three at the back and go with two wing backs and then allow, allow your Diaby then to, to maneuver around up top if there was somebody that they were going to bring in. But I don't know. There's more shoes to drop with regards to other positions instead of talking about in generalities, or sorry, in absolute, uh, absolutisms, but what Unai Emery is definitely going to do until we see signings come in and until we play, definitely until we play at least two games in, in, in preseason, two of the, the games in the States, should I say, uh, during preseason, I don't really know what we're going to do with our back four and, and with the people in front of them. But Musa Diaby, if he was to come in, would need some help in defence. Um, and I think that's okay because, uh, you know, attackers are there to attack. We should, we've got 11 men in the field. We should be able to defend with nine and have two people that could be that are less uh, needed in, in, in attack. If we're going to be a ball-dominant team, if we're going to be a ball-dominant team, a team that's going to, going to own the ball, a team that's going to... Um, uh, a team that's going to, uh, to 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 increase our, our our progressive passing. That's what we're being linked with an awful lot. There's players who can carry that ball forward or else progress that ball forward via, via passing. If we're going to diversify our attacking attacking strengths with uh, you know between the left and the right, and if we're going to try and own games like we were doing at the end of the season, well then we should be able to leave two people that are free. And have and, and defend then with with, with eight. I, I think that's not a massive ask uh, from from this team, specifically if we if Una Emery does want us to be more ball dominant. I've spoken way too long there about this guy before. Um, before I wanted to start showing up his statistics, but let me share your share some statistics with you. Um, and I hope this I hope you guys can see this. So Musa Diaby, um, here are some of his statistics, and I hope that you guys can see them. I've changed the backgrounds in these. So I hope it's a bit more um, clear. As I said, he's five, six and a half. Defensive statistics, nothing really to write home about. Um, you know, he's not been tasked with anything there. Um, he's not been asked to do a massive amount of defending. He's very much been that outlet ball, get that ball to him, whether it be more central role, whether he comes in off the wing, whether he starts off his attacks on the right-hand side or with France and, and with in that blistering season he had with Leverkusen, he, he alternated between left and right. Um, an awful lot as well so no problems playing on either wing to be that outlet ball and to carry that ball forward we can see there his dribble success rate uh, 49.7% puts him up in the top 21% in all of Europe's top five leagues for a lot of last season a lot of last a lot of the season before last the season when he scored 13 goals and had 12 assists he actually had uh, possession numbers that were higher than Christopher and Cuckoo, who's Chelsea have just signed for 60 million, and also higher than Kingsley Coleman, who I think every single fan of every team in the Premier League would lick their lips at having somebody like Kingsley Coleman on their team. Now, is he a more is he as rounded as those two players? He's not, because he's only 22 or 23 years of age, should I say. Um, just going on 20, 24 years of age. Um, so he's not as not as rounded as those two players. But he's a seriously, seriously talented player. And we can see that with regards to these attacking statistics here. You know, shots per 90 right up there. Shots on target is a really interesting one as well. One of the things that we often criticize um, some of our players for specifically, um, uh, specifically the likes of, uh, say, Bundia, Coutinho and, and, and uh, Leon Bailey, as you can see here on the radiograph beside us. The, the white one there is Leon Bailey. Or sorry, the white one is, uh, is Emi Bundia. The pink one is Philippe Coutinho and the red one is Leon Bailey. There, if you look there at what their, their, their shot and target percentages, it's all very low. 
So we want to, one guy's at least getting the ball on target. Musi Diaby does that. And he does that favourably in comparison to, uh, to any of the rest of the wingers in Europe's top five leagues. Puts him in the top 15%. Um, also, you know, getting his... Uh, I've mixed up his shots on target percentage and his shots on target there. But you get the idea. Um, shot creating actions as well. Puts him right up there on goal creating actions. Puts him way ahead of anybody on our team from creating goals. What do we want from wingers? Creating goals. It's that simple. Do we have a player that, 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 that his team are looking for 50 million for him? Is he worth 50 million? Yes, I'm going to say he is. It's just the market we live in at the moment. Players who've got massive potential, players have reached their potential, and somebody with 75 goal contributions in 122 games is probably is worth worth uh, 50 million considering he's, um, he's just gone uh, 24 years of age. So all in all, I really, really like this player. You can see... He's, he's the green radial map here to the right hand side. And I get some of your comments because Jesus, I'm only after seeing there. I'm 20 minutes on, bleating here, and I've got a sore throat and I've, uh, my voice is about to go. So I should really be doing less talking and uh, reading your comments more, I suppose. But looking at his map here, we can see that he's a, he's more rounded than the players that we have. I mentioned there that he's not as rounded as somebody like Christopher Cuckoo or uh, Kingsley Coleman, but I would expect them to be more rounded players because they've had more time in the field and they're also a higher caliber player than him at the moment. And, and that's okay. But this guy, if, if you look at what his statistics show here <clears throat> and you watch him play, you can see that he is immediate benefit to this team and he's immediate, immediately encapsulates a lot of the good things that we have in a point. Like one of the biggest problems, I think, that when we look at Leon Bailey, we know there's talent there. That's why we find him so frustrating. We know there's talent there. We know Philippe Coutinho's talent and we know Amy Buendia's talent. But there's a consistency level between all between the three of those guys. And arguably, one of this one of uh, Musa Diaby's um biggest uh, biggest plus points is his consistency. And I think that's what people will like about him. Albeit we've only seen it in the Bundesliga, we've seen it in the Champions League, we've seen it in Europa League, and we've seen it for the French team coming to the Premier League. I still think he can bring that consistency with him. Now, what I've also looked at here as well is I've looked at how he fares in comparison to some of the other players that we've been linked with. Oh, this is the wrong one. I had Nico, Nico Williams in there as well. Oh, well. Um, I seem to have loaded the wrong slides, but um, I can post them on Twitter later on. So I had a comparison to him with William Bailey in his last year in Leverkusen, and I also had added Nico Williams in here. But when we look at him here in comparison to what Harvey Barnes, who the white line represents, and Mohamed Kudos, who the yellow line represents, and who also played heavily in that number 10 role, so would have had more of attacking output than him. We see he comes across as a steadier option and is able to contribute in, the in, in all the right attacking play phases to a really, really good degree. So not only is it important to look at him in comparison to the players that we already have, but maybe look at him in comparison to the players that we were linked with. And just as a spoiler alert, for the Nico Williams part as well, Nico Williams was up and down. He's really good by, by carrying ability and so on, but he wasn't as rounded or he wasn't as consistent a performer statistically and on the field as a Moussa Diaby is, albeit he's three years younger than him, give or take. So I wouldn't expect it. So all in all, this guy, as I say, Moussa Diaby, he's, I'm really excited by him, as I say. Between himself, Kudos and Gonzalez, um, who I haven't popped on this graphic here for for reasons because I think he's that you think he's more that second striker player. I think Diaby is someone we should be excited about if we were to sign him. 
we should have some reservations with regards to his his uh his defensive ability because he's just not being asked to do it. So I don't know, can he do it from an attacking point of view? I know he can do it. And one of the other reservations I would always have about players is when you're five foot six and you're about ten stone soaking wet after a good feed of chips, you know, you always will have questions asked about whether you can bring that level to the Premier League. And from what I've seen, I think he can. Um, so all in all, I'm, I would be very happy and excited with this based on fit to the team and, and, and essentially what I've seen him do on the field as well. Um, oh my God, sorry, I didn't even look at how many comments there are. There's like a bazillion um, comments there as well. Firstly, I want to say thank you very much, Matt Hanlon. Points for podcasters. This will more, be more lame-sip for podcasters, I think, today because... Uh, as I say, I'm doing my best Barry White impression. And for those of you who don't know who Barry White is, I can't help you. I can't help you. Um, so let's get to some of your comments there. Uh, oh. So Jake says he was starting to have withdrawal symptoms. Um, somehow knew you'd be covering the Abbey today. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, and for everybody, I've, I've taken a few days off, but we're going to try and ramp it up. And then again, I suppose, just to take a break from talking about the Abbey for a moment, you know, you guys let me know on, on Twitter or whatever in the comments here. You know, sometimes I feel like, is there a point in covering somebody? Is is the rumor that off the wall or is it? Is there any chance of it happening? If you guys want to know about him, let me know. But, you know, there's a couple of people I haven't covered recently because I felt that there's probably no chance of us, us signing them. But um, I'll be led by you guys and see what you see, see what you guys think on that one. Um, Sarko says, I just can't see us paying the fee required. I can see us. I can see us paying fifty million for somebody. I I, I can. Um, I can see us doing it. I I I, uh, I think we have to. Otherwise, you know, we're we're going to be getting retreads on players. Um, I just I just see us breaking our transfer record. Maybe, maybe like the initial transfer fee piece. Um. And I'm reluctant to say it about Aston Villa because I know we have to build our costs. We have to build our revenues before we build our costs. And, and I think the club is in the, in the process of doing that. The club isn't strapped for cash from what I'm being made aware of. Um, by that, I just mean talking to uh, Kieran Maguire, who was in the Price of Football pod, who said that Villa can, 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 can shoulder stuff at the moment as long as their owners don't decide to sell up and go home. Um, you know, with European football coming back to Villa... And and we have increased revenue as well. Um, you know, there's 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 arguments and there's reasons to think that we can go and we can we can solidify the squad. Also, I'm dancing around the bush by saying financial fair play is a lot of shite and it doesn't exist. And until until someone can prove to me that other teams like like if until someone can prove to me that, that Newcastle United can go out and spend seventy million on Alexander Isaac and spend forty million on Batman. And spend whatever forty million on Bruno de Gmer Bruno Gmerich, um, that's one hundred and fifty million in the space of space of ten months, and still stay within financial fair play. Why can't Aston Villa do it? That's that's my question. They weren't in they weren't in um in European football either. So I don't know. I could be proven wrong there. But look, as I say, that's a very amateur look, look from my point in, on it. But I can't see us paying the fee. Whether it's for this guy, I don't know. I pay pay fifty million for him. Before I'd pay 50 million for Brennan Johnson, put it that way. Just because this guy's a far more accomplished player than Brennan Johnson. 
Um, he's just done it at a higher level for a longer period of time. Granted, he's a small bit older than him as well. And that's not a slight on Brendan Johnson. Um, and a lot of people saying fifty million is um is is too much. Um, it's a it's a it's a seller's market at the moment. It's a, like Man United are looking for fifty million for Harry Maguire. work that one out it's a seller's market and I, th I think that the market will will adjust um i think premier league teams are in such a strong position as i said before harry winks going to the championship team for 10 million um whilst that i mentioned uh, mentioned previously uh gosh i can't even remember who else um england under 21 goalkeeper who is going to be very good not a and once again this is not a commentary on their their the player's ability he is a very good player but for somebody who's played something like 42 odd games, I think it is for Bolton in League One, to be going for 20 million hour odd when Emmy Martinez went for 20 million odd um three seasons ago, Aston Villa, you know, it's an inflated market at the moment. And more power to the guy, fantastic save in the European Cup final. And congratulations to JJ, congratulations to Archer, and congratulations to all the under 21 team. Fantastic goalkeeper. But I'm saying that like prices have gone up and we have to be prepared to pay paid him at some stage. Um, oh, the other person was Nat Phillips. Nat Phillips has played 19 games, I think it is, in the Premier League. He hasn't, he's played two games in the last two years. And apparently, 10 million is what, what Liverpool are looking for him. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an inflated market. And um, it's inflated, like, it just is. <laughs> I think, really, uh, the bargains that we will get will be the free signings. Like, Yuri Tielemans, day on day on day, with some of the, some of the prices being quoted, Looks like an absolute steal for free money. And that's if you believe that the transfer fees ever actually get paid and they aren't amortized down um, over the course of their contract. Um, you just look at Henrik Mkhitaryan's contract with, with, with Man United. And Man United actually made a profit after they sold him. Over the course of his contract, they were able to record a profit. Even though they sold him for like 20 million, they bought him for 40. They had a profit in their balance, their balance sheet uh, because of the amortization of the contract. So, um, it's not money in, money out. In, in That's not the way it goes in football. I don't understand it fully to be able to do a full podcast. I've been talking about it for the last three or four years um, about amortization, but um, there's a couple of areas I don't fully understand, so I haven't done a podcast on it. Um, so I don't want to 100% make myself... I do a do good enough job of making myself sound stupid as it is without delving into the money side of things too. Um uh, where else are we there? Just gonna come down. Gonna scroll down. Apologies if I miss any of you. Um, yeah, sorry there, guys. There's a, there's a lot of chat about the fifty million. Um, I as I say, I I just my own personal view. I think we will spend the fifty million or something like it. I think we break our transfer fee. Um, but it's um. It's not a question I can fully answer, I suppose, really, with any certainty. Um, there's massive amount of comments about the 50 million mark. Sorry, guys. And I'm not... Keep talking about it. Absolutely. I, I, but every, every second comment I see so far is about the price. Um, <laughs> our FFP. And apologies, as I say, I just don't know enough about it. Um... Yeah, a couple of ones there. There's one bit there about Tielemans. Tielemans also the best number 10 at Villa now and signed in a free. Ooh, Duncan, I don't think we're going to see Tielemans in the number 10 role. It could. 
because um, I suppose really with the Jacob Ramsey situation at the moment, um, and get well soon, Jacob Ramsey, and get well soon, Alex Moreno. Um, I've seen a lot, I suppose, on the internet about, you know, we need to go and get someone now straight away. And we will. We will sign another midfield player. We will sign another winger. And that's why I'm talking about, I suppose, Bailey is going to be there. To, it's going to be to supplement Bailey, regardless of JJ's injury. It's going to be to supplement Bailey as opposed to replace him. But um, I, I think that we'll be able to play that that um, that box midfield that we played last season with Uri Thielmans in there. Maybe not in the left-hand side, but Uri Thielmans in there somewhere as opposed to the number 10 position. But then again, he could be utilising the number 10 position if we are in more defensive mode where we're trying to maybe curtail players a bit more. He does press high. Now, as you say, he's not the fastest player in the league, but he's not the slowest player in the league either. A lot gets made of the Uri Thielemans clip where he's busting a gut to get back and he gives up. That's, look, it's a one, one, one clip wonder uh, situation for 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 um, Uri Thielemans. Um, and yeah, he probably down tools in the middle of the season last season because he just... That's a question he'll have to answer. Um, I'm not here to stand up for him for that, if that was something that he did. But I think he's got good versatility as well, uh, Duncan, and somewhere we could see him playing numerous positions, 6, 8, uh, wide 8, or, or a 10. You know, I think we could see him in those positions as well. Um, Bruce, Bruce says, let's get Aaron Maguire and stick him on the wing. They'll never see it coming. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would definitely be... Um, they definitely be one out of the um out of left field for sure. Um Rachel says, unfortunately, we've missed the boat for Barnes. So if we were to believe everything we read in the newspapers, Harvey Barnes didn't want to leave the Midlands because his kids were going to school there and he was settled in the area and he was then going to sign for Aston Villa. And then he was going to sign for West Ham. And it was a done deal. And now it very much looks like he's going to sign for Newcastle. And I believe he probably will sign for Newcastle. So what does that leave, leave me to believe? So we're talking about which we won't be able to spend. And this isn't the commentary on you, Richard. Don't get me wrong here. I'm just, I'm just trying to piece it together in my own mind. I've had six days off podcasting. I've had a lot of time to think. Um, <laughs> that leads me to believe one or two things. Number one, the fee for Harvey Barnes is going to be north of I'd say it'd be 40 plus for every bands so once again we're in the territory of the 50 million signing um, I would imagine for every bands uh, could be wrong could be wrong could be something like 35 either way it's going to be big bucks I think that Harvey Barnes looked at Champions League and went I'll sacrifice the location for Champions League that's fine no problem there Aston Villa can't offer it can't offer Champions League we also probably we also aren't in a position if we were talking about finances a moment ago to offer mega bucks in wages. Well, we can offer mega bucks, but maybe we aren't able to offer Saudi bucks in wages to to Harvey Barnes. I think sometimes you just gotta hold your hand up and say Newcastle are in a better position than us. But I'm not sure that Harvey Barnes is our number one target. That's what I'm getting at here. Um, and if he was based on what Newcastle can offer him I think that he would have chosen Newcastle regardless if we went if we'd thrown the boat at him um, and that's fine 
because I think there are other options out there, other options that aren't as proven in the Premier League, albeit. But I think that there's more ways to skin a cat with getting a left winger. And um, as you, as you as you can see here, statistically, Harvey Barnes does some some things really well and does other things not well at all. So I would have liked him at Aston Villa, don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, the optimism and everything that I certainly have for this offseason, and we will sign very, very good players. Um, I actually think there are better players for 50 million to buy than, than Harvey Barnes, albeit they're not as proven in the Premier League. But um, who knows? Harvey Barnes could be wearing a blue shirt one of the days and we could all be talking about this in a di in different terms but I don't I don't expect it I think he's gone to Newcastle and um, more power to him in the Premier in the in the Champions League and more power to him with his um with whatever they've decided to pay him for his contract as well uh, 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 one more comment so let's see let's see let's see Nanto any takers I was going to do a piece on Nanto Wilfred Nanto and this guy here, the Abbey, same height. The Abbey is, I would go so far as to say. So Wilfred Nanto, they're looking for about 25 million for him. Good player, did it in the Premier League. I thought at the end of last year, he kind of, he didn't, he, he, he began to run out of steam mentally for the, the situation that they were in, he started to to kind of get rattled at at the heavy treatment he got from from fullbacks. We saw that when Villa played Leeds, we kicked him up now in the field. He it it affected him. It affected. I I feel that the that the rough treatment he got over the course of the season affected his play towards the end of the year. Correct me if I'm not wrong. Nanto scored. What did he score last season? Was it two goals? Two goals, four assists. Well, he had some really, really good runs, uh, and and he's only a very young player. Don't get me wrong. What I'm trying to get at here, I suppose, is this guy has done way more at a at um over a more consistent period of time. Now, albeit he is a more expensive player, um, you know, I'm just I think that Nanto might run out of steam in the Premier League. Is what I'm trying to get at here. Um, I'd like to see more of him before I I would pay twenty five million for him in the Premier League. And you might call me hypocritical because I'd, I'd be willing to pay 40 million plus for this guy. He was never played in the Premier League. But I'd just like to see more of Nanto before dropping the cash in him. Um, he's done some really good things. Really good player, don't get me wrong. If For my Aston Villa team, I'd like to see a small bit more of him. Just like, and I've said the same thing about Brennan Johnson, incredibly talented player. But coming into this specific Aston Villa team without it being football manager, I just like to see a small bit more of him in possession in a team that, 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 that holds on to possession. Nottingham Forest didn't hold on to possession at all last year. His statistics look poor from that point of view. He still had a really profitable season in front of goal. Um, I'd like to, like, if he was still banging him in, I, I, I think if you're going to pay 50, 50 million for him now, you're going to pay 50 million for him in, in, in January. I don't think there's anything that Brennan Johnson can do that can elevate his, his uh, price tag over 50 million playing for Nottingham Forest short of scoring 30 goals in the first half of the season and shooting Nottingham Forest to the top of the league. So I think if you're willing to, if, if no team is willing to, to put 50 million down on the table for Brennan Johnson right now, 
it's because they want to take a look at him for another six months, another four months or whatever, and then maybe look at him again in January, see where Nottingham Forest are. Maybe Forest are rooted to the bottom of the league. Maybe Forest are safe in, in 10th position. Don't look like they're going to get relegated at all. Maybe Forest wants to cash in on him at that stage. But I think teams will take a look at him. I don't think, I, I don't, I, once again, I've got a vague all over my face come the end of the, end of the transfer window here. But I think that's, what's, that's what teams are looking to do. I think teams want to push the button on him. And I think they want to spend money on him because he's an exceedingly talented player. He's a really talented player. But I think that what their, their thought process is, he's worth, Forrest might want 50 million for him now. But like in January, they're not going to want 75 million for him because I don't think he can reach the 75 million, million level with how Forrest are going to perform over the first four months of the season. And I could be wrong. Could be 100% wrong with that. I, that's just how I feel the market is looking at Brennan Johnson at the moment. And I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Um, Pete says, Pete says none to us, Aaron Connolly. Jesus, there's a lot in that. I'd love if Paddy was here now to discuss that one. There's a lot in that. Um, and Richard says, I'm giving him a sore throat. I'm giving myself a, a sore throat as well. Um yeah, I am going to have uh, have, a, have a cry. Pete says Diaby is Damien Duff. Jesus, if he was, I'd take him. I I likened him to to Freddie Youngberg at the start of the at the start of the podcast because I think that he's that that all action type of winger who will score goals. Um, albeit he won't have pink hair like Freddie Youngberg. Um, but as I said at the start, I've seen him liken to Sean Wright Phillips. And I've seen him liken to Aaron Robin and. You know, one is too low on, on, on the scale. Not that John Ryan Phillips is a bad player, and one is too high on the scale. You know, for me, I think Freddie Youngberg is probably about right as to where he fits in. Um, and, and if we got a Freddie Youngberg player, by God, we'd all be delighted because uh, wasn't he a fine player for Arsenal as well? Um, right, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there, everybody, because as I say, um, oh, wait, actually, Ronan says, what, based off absolutely no evidence, what's your opinion percentage-wise based on how likely this would be to sign it was in the mail, okay? I'm a massive fan of the newspaper, the Daily Mail. But it was in the Daily Mail, but it was broken but apparently by the guy. And I don't know, I haven't done any research into this. I read it on the interwebs. I read it on the bastion of truth that is Twitter, um, that this guy allegedly broke the Leon Bailey news to Aston Villa. This, this guy broke it, the, was the first person to break it, that wasn't Craig Butler. Um about Bailey to, to Aston Villa. So if I was to give it, I'd probably say a 10, 15% chance. Like the second Villa set a, set a price for this guy, Arsenal, other teams are going to be in for him. He's he's renowned as being a, being an electric player. And Xabi Alonso will do very well to hold on to him at Leverkusen this season. And, and if he does, he definitely won't hold on to him for next season. That's kind of the way it is. Whether he comes to us or not, I don't know. But... A boy can dream. A boy can dream. Um, right. I'm going to leave it at that. 42 minutes. It's not a bad one. Don't get back into the swing of things for podcasting. Apologies from doing it from not my normal room. And I'm going to apologize again. I think I saw Michael Huggins saying to stop apologizing for apologizing. But um, hopefully next time you guys hear from me, I'll have my voice back again. I'll be back in my podcasting boudoir probably tomorrow. Um, and uh, if anything breaks in the meantime, I will come back and I will do another podcast. But thanks very much, everybody, for watching. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. I hope you could hear me correctly, and I hope I made sense during parts of that podcast. Um, and uh, I think it's still going to be an exciting summer from transfer-wise. 
And I suppose until next time, all that's left to say is stay safe, stay healthy, and up the villa. Podcast Network.